Welcome to Handmaids and Harlots, a weekly podcast that explores both the Handmaid's Tale and Harlots series produced by Hulu. This podcast is marked as heavy spoilers, as it will include episode-by-episode synopsis, as well as analysis of both shows and their written source material. The textual references for this podcast are The Handmaid's Tale by Margaret Atwood, interviews, essays, analysis, and other available materials regarding Miss Atwood's book and forthcoming second installment, Testaments. Textual references for all Harlots-related podcasts will be taken from Hallie Rubinold's book, The Covent Garden Ladies, Pimp General Jack and the Extraordinary Story of Harris's Lists, as well as interviews, essays, analysis, and other available materials regarding Harlots by Hulu. Join me, Ray, and my co-host, Kay, as we watch, read, and discuss these two provocative and intelligent stories. Scene 1 starts with Luke at a demonstration with Holly in his arms. June is narrating over the top of the scene. She is actually in Loaves and Fishes, where several handmaids approach her with soft gestures or remarks of praise be. As she leaves and walks home, she thinks of Luke and how much she loves him. Intruding on this moment is off Matthew, who says she's been praying for Nicole Holly's return. June's response, bite me. Scene two has June returning to the Lawrence house, where she comes upon Commander Lawrence and Mrs. Lawrence speaking. Commander Lawrence asks Mrs. Lawrence if she has changed something, and Eleanor responds that she has changed her hair. As she moves off screen, June approaches Lawrence. Before she can speak, he says to her, no, assuming that June had come to ask for something. She asks instead if Luke is safe, Lawrence, in his characteristic way, answers very cryptically and then suggests that none of them are safe. Scene three, Serena and Rita are in the council building and Fred approaches and asks Serena to join the council to speak about Holly Nicole. The council is currently discussing how to proceed in getting Nicole Holly back. They ask Serena what she wants. She says she wants to know about the man who is raising Nicole Holly. Commander Putnam explains Luke's previous work experience and his religious affiliations, or lack thereof. Fred also says that they have intelligence on Holly Nicole's medical situation, that she's up on her shots and her well-baby appointments. The council then disperses, leaving Fred and Serena alone. Serena and Fred talk about it, and he seems to be confused as to why she seems to be pushing to know things about a baby and says to her, plainly that he thought this is what she wanted for the baby to be safe and she says that she does but she wants all of this also to be over because she knows she can't be with her scene four we're returned to the lawrence home and june is in her room mrs lawrence and mr lawrence are downstairs when they notice that the people are approaching the home and june hears car doors from her upstairs room mrs lawrence comes to collect her and tells June that they're here for you. June comes downstairs to be confronted with the water birds. Fred, of course, is terribly patronizing as usual. They ask June if she would help contacting Luke to set up a meeting between Serena and Luke so that Serena might say goodbye to Nicole Holly. 
Serena is forced to speak to June alone and begs her to help. June tells her that seeing the baby isn't going to help her at all. But at the end, Serena and June negotiate a deal for June's aid. In the next shot, June is at Commander Lawrence's desk. There is an eye there, as well as Serena, Fred, and Lawrence. They call Luke's cell phone, telling June she only has two minutes to talk to Luke and to get his agreement. Luke answers the phone. June reluctantly speaks to him. Luke has mixed emotions at hearing her voice and her request. He tells her he's sorry for everything, and she tells him not to be. After the sad and intense conversation, Luke reluctantly agrees, though he puts some conditions on his meeting with Serena. The conversation leaves them both destroyed. June returns to her room and sobs. Scene 5 is brief. Luke returns to his apartment and starts to tell Moira about the phone call. Moira, being who she is, moves to sit beside him and comfort him. In scene six, June is sitting in the kitchen of the Lawrence home, looking at the hearth fire, and Mrs. Lawrence approaches her. She's far more lucid than we've seen her in some time. She speaks to June about how hard it must have been for her to make that phone call and how much all of this must hurt her. Mrs. Lawrence gives her some hopeful advice about what matters is that love continues and that June still loves Luke and that Luke still loves her too. She then goes on to describe how the commander used to make her little mixtapes when they were in college and that it was an expression of his love for her. June asks her if she still listens to them, but Mrs. Lawrence explains that she can't because the man that made those tapes no longer exists. June tells her, or suggests, that maybe there's still a sliver of him in there, in that commander, and that it might be worth trying to reach out to that sliver. In scene seven, we see June in the basement. She's digging out Mrs. Lawrence's old box of mixtapes. She finds a boombox, also in the basement, and decides to listen to what is one of the tapes, and it begins with You Make Me Feel Like Dancing by Leo Sayer. We find Serena packing her things at her mother's seaside home. Among those things are pictures of her as a child. Rita enters the room, and Serena shares with her something that is written on a locket that apparently was given to Serena by her late father. Rita reads it, mentioning the sentiment, and hands it back. She then says a package had arrived for Serena. Serena asked what was in it, but Rita says since it wasn't for her, she didn't look. Scene 9 is very brief. It shows Serena leaving for Canada. She takes a military transport plane. Fred, of course, sees her off. But per Luke's request, Fred remains in Gilead. Scene 10, Serena arrives in Canada and is greeted by Agent Twello. There is a brief conversation about Serena being required to change out of her wife costume and into proper clothing so that she remains low profile. When we see her later, since she has changed, her countenance is lighter. All of the hardness that we are accustomed to seeing in Serena is gone. Is it just the outfit? Or is it seeing the child or both? The meeting takes place in a very busy terminal. And we can see Serena's pleasure when she views Nicole as soon as she sees Nicole and Luke together. A very tense conversation follows where Luke makes it extremely clear he will only trade information with Serena about Nicole Holly if Serena gives him information about June. Serena tries to get him to take the locket, but he balks. They argue about who is Nicole Holly's family and what her story will be. It ends with Serena making a veiled threat against June, to which Luke calls an end to the meeting. Serena begins to cry, and in a reminiscent scene to June's with the Mackenzies, Luke relents and allows Serena to hold Nicole Holly. 
Tuello approaches and ushers Serena back to the exchanging room. On their way, he once more offers her the option of treason and coconuts, but she refuses, saying that there is only one home for her. After entering the changing room, she breaks down, tipping over her things, and that is when we see the package that she had received via Rita, and it was revealed to be for Luke. She returns to the plane once more as Mrs. Waterford and no longer Serena. And while she is seated in the plane, she looks down into her bag and sees a cell phone left by Twello with a post-it note that says, if you need me. Scene 11 begins with June coming down the stairs at the Lawrence home and cruel to be kind by Nick Lowe playing through the stereo. Mrs. Lawrence is seated on the couch next to Commander Lawrence and they appear to be sharing a moment. Scene 12 Serena arrives back in Gilead, and Fred is there to greet her. He asks her how it went, and Serena's response is that she's perfect, speaking about Nicole Holly. And then she falls into Fred's arms for comfort. She further says that now at least it is all over. But Fred suggests it doesn't have to be. In scene 13, we come again to Loaves and Fishes with June and off Matthew, who is definitely off her game today. She confides to June that she is pregnant and that she hasn't yet told her own commander. She also states, in a complete turnaround from her previous remarks, that she is glad that Holly Nicole and Luke are safe in Canada. Off Matthew does not seem to be at all pleased that she is pregnant again. As they stand there, a group of eyes enter Loaves and Fishes, and they collect June. They load her into one of their ominous black vans. The scene then switches to Canada and Luke with a Walkman and the tape that June had been listening to in the Lawrence basement. He seems baffled by the music at first, and then June's voice comes in, and she confesses to him that the baby, Holly Nicole, is not Waterford's, but Nick's. She tells him that she loves him, and that she's ashamed, and that he should move on and make a life for himself. She very much sounds as if she does not expect to make it out of Gilead. Luke's response is sad, cripplingly sad, it seems, defeated. June's ominous black van arrives at an undisclosed location where she is met by Aunt Lydia, who ushers her into a changing room and changes her into a new set of reds. Very fancy, very expensive. And then she is rushed out onto a stage. When she arrives on the stage, it is bathed in TV lights, and Fred and Serena are there, Serena seated on a couch, and Fred standing behind the couch. The scene switches again to Moira rushing into the apartment she shares with Luke and Holly Nicole and Aaron. She urges Luke to turn on the television, and for a moment we are given that view of what appears to be a video request from the Waterfords for the return of Holly Nicole. When the scene turns back again to June, she is trying to get from Serena what is happening, but it all goes too fast. And as Fred unrolls his plea to Canada for the return of Holly Nicole, the camera swings to June's face, and we see nothing but her wrath and hear the strains of U2's Sunday Bloody Sunday. So 
Good afternoon and welcome to another episode of Handmaids and Harlots. And I'm Ray. And I'm Kay. This week's episode will be dealing with episode five, Unknown Caller. You've already listened to the walkthrough, so we don't need to get into any more of the actual timeline of the episode. We're going to restrict our comments pretty much to the themes for this week. And as I always do, I'm going to put Kay on the spot and ask her... So what themes did you recognize in this episode? Definitely love. Love's definitely a uh, forefront of it, especially since some of the first things that June talks about is how nobody dies from lack of sex. It's lack of love. Yes, that's very true. And there's other allusions to it, too, in various various expressions, isn't there? Yeah, there is. Because, like, we get, we get her love for Luke. And is it this episode she says that she has complex feelings for Fred? That was last episode, but yeah, she has had complex feelings towards him. So she's got this love for Luke and she speaks about that. But she also references her love for Nick, Sin saying that Holly Nicole was conceived in love. She admits this to Nick, right? Mm -hmm. And then we have sort of disjointed love, but maybe healing love between Mr. and Mrs. Lawrence. Mm, They're so cute. I know that scene was just delicious wasn't it it was like in between crying and just hurting my heart i know it was so great i love this scene actually i love the scene that that opens up that with between eleanor and june in the kitchen when they're talking about this and eleanor says you know he used to make me these mixtapes back in college mm-hmm. it made me feel weird and old too I don't really view this show as like these people are my age demographic, but apparently the Lawrences are because that was a thing in the 80s. Like up, we in, all, up into the 90s, too. Yeah, we made mixtapes. That was, you know what I mean? We That's what we did for people. If you liked somebody, you made them a mixtape. It's like kind of a low-key way of, or even for your friends or whatever, you know what I mean? But you mixtapes were life when I was in high school. So like... It made me feel low-key old. But I think maybe Bradley Whitmore and I are both the same age. So Is that so that? terrible? No, because he's hot for a grandpa, ain't he? I'm sorry. I'm just going to say. <laughs> boy's got it. He's really attractive. He's one of those guys who just gets better the older he gets. I know. There is some, there, isn't there? There are men who just, like, definitely get better looking. It, for me, anyway, the older they get. It's funny too. I had somebody link me a picture of Tom Holland this week. And I'm sorry, but I can't look at Tom Holland and not feel like a pedo. I just, I'm not. He's so young looking. It, it oops me out. When somebody sends me a, you know, picture of Tom Holland or anybody his age or like the Jonas Brothers or I don't care what. And they're like, isn't he cute? And I'm like, no, (laughs) no, that, no. I mean, I can see why, you know, younger women and young ladies would find that attractive, but no, no, no. I'll take Bradley Whitmore, thanks. I'll, yeah, <laughs> I'll, I'll stick to the, the my frosty topped boxes. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> uh, I shouldn't say that. I mean, I wouldn't, I mean, I consider ra- robbing, you know, the 38 above market a cradle robbing. So, you know, they're good-looking guys that are in that 30 and above market, too, but that I find attractive. 
like I used to, Mr. Fines, and now I'm crushed. Wah, wah, wah. Anyway. Sad day for you. Sad day. Sad day. Oh, my God. Somebody else mentioned that recently, I think on Reddit, I saw a post where somebody mentioned the fact that, you know, he used to be really hot. What happened? <laughs> it's like they played this <laughs> asshole on. That's what happened to all of us. We're all like, bleh. Fred, bleh. he's just really good at it. Yeah, he's super good at skeevy asshole. I, well, anyway, so we had that great scene though between Eleanor and June in the kitchen, and Eleanor is saying that, and then you know, telling June that she, you know, and and the empathy. Eleanor is like right there. Like, why what is so unfortunate? June didn't end up in this household to start with, right? I know, because Eleanor is like empathetic. She's not stable, but neither is Serena. Fuck. So, like... She seems really put together right now, too. Like, she did her hair up. You know, she's having eye-contacted conversations. Yeah. And and it's just wonderful. She's like, I know this must be horrible for you to June. You know, that empathy. And then, and then kind of, you know, handing out her own feelings, right? And June returning that gift, right? Mm-hmm. So sweetly with, you know, it's okay to hang on to a sliver of a person. You know what I mean? I just, that whole scene was really, really lovely. And I love that it took place in the kitchen. Because, of course, as we were talking about last week about women's place, right? Mm-hmm. Family conversations that are often of serious import, particularly amongst the women in a family, take place in the kitchen. It's such a nice portrayal of that this moment i liked it and then yeah and then those two sitting on the couch together and she's like you know kind of hunched but her little shoulders were moving did you notice and he was like oh that was so sweet it was so sweet they looked like you could almost imagine them sitting on a park bench on some university campus and her look right and her looking super nerdy with like and uh, you know what I mean? Kind of weird art girl and, and him being some skinny, like Eddie Redmayne and, and. And just at the end where they were kind of bopping to the music. Yes. It's just so cute. Oh. They were so cute. And the music choices for this episode, I just got to say, were fucking great. Just going to say, I, of course it I might be that I'm an eighties kid. So there's that. I very much liked it. Yeah, I haven't heard that Leo Sayer song in like a fucking million years. So when that came on, I'm like, oh my God, I used to roller skate to this. Oh my God, you are old. <laughs> yes. So I that was great. So we have that kind of love. And then what about mother love, right? And and paternal or uh, familial love, this this weird conversation that takes place between Serena and Luke at the airport where that comes up, where he's like, you're not her mother. And she's like, and you're not her father. We both know that biology doesn't play a part in this. Don't we? Right. Mm-hmm. That acknowledgement. I will, I will say that there is a very big difference between an adoptive parent and a kidnapper parent. <laughs> so Serena's got to get off her high horse for that one. You know, you're saying a lot of hate. <laughs> against my girl 
against your girl. So, well, you know, I don't know. I still don't know what's up her sleeve. So I don't think any of us really do. I, I think there's even can be some love between Fred and Serena. I think what we saw in season one between them, I think they were really in love. Mm-hmm. I did think that was sweet when she kind of fell into Fred's arms because he's really the only person who's going to comfort her now. And oh, she's absolutely. Bur- she's burnt the last bridge with this shit here. Well, oh, maybe yeah. not the last bridge, but she's she's working on burning everything else in her life down. First the house and now everything else. Oh, God. The fire is just a big thing. Big thing with her lately. She's angry. This is going to sound super new agey, and y'all are going to have to accept my apology. But there was this woman in, speaking of the 80s and 90s, who was in kind of in that new age thing. And her name was Louise Hay. And she had a book about you called You Can Heal Your Life. And she talks about physical medical problems that we have and what they represent on a spiritual level. Mm-hmm. Burns and fire stuff has to do with anger. I could, I can get with that. Serena is the probably the angriest mother on the planet. After this episode, I'm pretty sure June's trying to take that title. Well, not that. Well, maybe it's bad. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. The end of that. I. That's great. So we got to see all those loves. Where else did we see love in this episode? Besides the obvious interactions between the the new parents. <laughs> <laughs> And Fred and Serena at the airport. Rita and Serena. Oh, yeah. Right? Rita is a complicated... She's a complicated character, isn't she? She is. Do you think maybe Rita is meant to be us? I don't know. I've been giving this a little bit of thought lately because... uh, Reasons we're not going to get into on this podcast. But Rita and all of the Marthas, really, are kind of in a unique position to observe everything they're like the opposite of the eyes which is what makes them i think powerful as a members of the resistance right because they're servants and therefore in probably in a lot of instances invisible to the people that they serve and so they're able to observe things that other people don't they're the, I mean, they're the invisibles yeah so they see things other people don't And it makes it interesting because then you can kind of see why even though Serena is being, and I, I know, I know, I'm not going to, I'm not an apologist. I'm just saying she needs to get woke, but Serena having empathy for Serena, even though she knows all the horrible things Serena has done. I mean, she clearly knows that Serena's an awful person. At the same time, Rita has empathy for that and cares about her and wants her to, to be better. She does. I mean, though I know that that look on her face when Serena held out the uh, the necklace and her face, like, is this a trick? <laughs> yeah, right? And then she read it. They had a moment there, a sweet moment, I thought. It was very sweet. Right up there with the, um, the, the finger cover. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Frida does care about um, Serena quite a lot, I think. And she also cares about June. And this doesn't seem to be a problem for her, right? 
because mm-hmm. she's seen them all at their worst and their best, and she accepts them as they are, strangely. Which I I sometimes wonder if she's not meant to be like the sane version of the fandom who's not like going, no, Serena's, you know, Jesus on toast and this is all a big ploy and she's going to be the the real hero. June's going to die. Or the other <laughs> ones that are like, let's find Serena Joy right now and light her on fire. Like, you know what I mean? She's like... <laughs> The person who sort of sees it all in the middle or the ones that are complaining about June. June's stupid and June is angry, makes bad decisions. And the other ones who are like, June's like Rambo. Like, you know what I mean? Because there's so much polarity in the fandom about around these two characters, it seems like. It is. And Rita's sort of like, no, they're complicated people. People are complicated. She, she's, I, I, I like Rita. I like Rita. I like Rita. I adore life. Rita. I like her POV. Mm-hmm. I can't wait to see more of her. Yeah, her and Aunt Lydia. God damn. <laughs> we need these stories. Hulu. So those are our love things. And then family. Yes, there's a great deal to, about talking about family here. Uh, right, well. with Especially towards the end with of Matthew. Just the her being pregnant for the fourth time. Yeah. Which, when she says she's ha- given, uh, when she's had a baby and they say she's had three, I think there were some people who were uh, talking on Reddit about whether that th- her first one was not counted or if it was counted, you know, the first one that she had to have had to become a handmaid. Yeah. And I'm like, that's even more depressing to think that she's had now five children and four of them have been taken, are going to be taken by Gilead. Well, we don't know that the first one that she might have had before Gilead was t- wasn't taken from her either. Mm-hmm. So may all of her children may have been reaped, as it were, mm-hmm. by, by these people. Her turnaround, too, I have to say. I mean, you know, June went through that for a while where she's playing this self-righteous little twat, right? Because she didn't really know her walking partners, and she's kind of done this every time. But... Mm-hmm. It's interesting seeing that through uh, Matthew now that she's like, I mean, we saw that veneer crack a little bit, right? At the, at the baptismal. Yeah. Well, at the baptism where she was like, you could tell it made her uncomfortable. She was uncomfortable seeing her child and uncomfortable being in that context. Right. She was also really uncomfortable with them all being there for the reception. Yeah. She didn't want to be there. She didn't want to be a part of that. Mm-hmm. Which is an interesting, I think, I I didn't pick it up, of course, until now, because, you know, I'm not entirely the fastest one in the uptake, but that was kind of a foreshadowing for what was going to happen at the end of the episode. You know, yeah. Serena goes, what, is, what did Serena think? This is one of the, you know, people make this argument, and, and I think that there's lots of options, but of course, bet- because Gilead's Gilead in Canada's Canada, you can't really have that situation here like you would in an open adoption but when you look at how adoption used to be conducted almost everywhere that the mother of the child never even got to hold them they put up a sheet and they get you know what i mean they didn't get to see them the baby was taken out of the room and you were never to know anything about it so you know what i mean you'd have that solid break and an opportunity to mourn it. And of course, we also got the other last week too, Janine and what that having Janine, having Janine lay in after the birth of Angela 
was probably worse for Janine than if they had just taken her out of that out of the Putnam's house right away. Mm-hmm. I mean, we saw with uh, June the whole production of milk issue and everything. Yeah, Serena knew right away she wanted June out of the house as soon as as Holly was born. Mm-hmm. So then she'd send a thing and get pumped, and that's might have been better suited to Janine, really, because her attachment forming problem, her need for love. Oh God. It's so great. You know, she's not able to make that separation. And here off Matthew is like talking about that, like in a low key way, right. That handmaids need to be not around this, like, Mm -hmm. and to focus on our jobs. But then here we get the end of this episode or get into this episode. And here she is. She's changed for, she apologizes to June in the beginning and says, listen, I'm sorry. I actually have been praying for, you know, mm-hmm. for you and your husband and your daughter. And then later we, you know what I mean? And then she gets into the, well, I'm pregnant, right? That's like, it, it's rough. It is rough. So there's that family, that weird disconnect. And like, that's what they don't have. Like that's what what it isn't just even being denied children, though that's what they're being denied. They're being asked to be incubators, but then they're being denied an actual sense of family, which is I think what Janine really what Janine wanted out of staying with the Putnams. I mean, yes, she wanted to be with Angela, but I think Janine wanted to be in a place that she felt safe, family. And regardless of, you know, being uh, taken advantage of and everything like that, she was still safe. In a yeah. way, in her head, she was safe. Yeah. And so none of these women are allowed to have family. It's a unique kind of isolation that handmaids put in. Mm-hmm. And it makes sense why they call them aunts, Aunt Lydia, mm-hmm. to like surrogate family, except that it's really dysfunctional. But I mean, it's Gilead, so what do we got? But This is so true. But then there's the more complex expression of why this family at that end when that conversation between Luke and Serena. Mm-hmm. What did you think about all that? perfectly reasonable responses to the situation they're put in. I don't know, Luke, I think he thinks that he had no other option but allow Serena around. And he's not really heartless. No. Because he did let her hold Nicole Hawley. Yeah, even after Serena not so subtly threatened June's life. Mm -hmm. You know, that I protected your wife. He's trying to do what's best for his wife along with this child that he's kind of left with. He's doing everything to protect this child. Right. Regardless if Serena looks like a harmless nice lady he knows what's going on in gilead thanks to moira and all them so i think it's a it's a very interesting position to be put into and i think it was a terrible decision for serena to go yeah yeah and for ben or for him to uh, agree to it mm-hmm. but i think that by the way that june was sounding it sounded like a threat i think that, it was meant to yeah it was you know if you don't do this something's gonna happen i think it's interesting too the, uh, the other layer of that family conversation in that scene is serena arguing that despite all the things that have happened she is still a part of holly nicole's story mm-hmm. it's definitely a dark portion of it well her other mother mm-hmm. june gave her permission to consider herself a mother so she considers herself a mother and she's the other mother. Which I think uh, June might be kicking herself for now because the whole TV ad thing. Yeah. 
you know, if she hadn't been considered herself Nicole Holly's mother, if she hadn't gone to go and see her, maybe Fred's, maybe this doesn't have to be the end, wouldn't have been so pushed so readily, maybe. I don't know. Well, when she fell into his arms, you know, Fred took advantage of Serena being vulnerable. Mm -hmm. He did. He really did. Because I don't think that he doesn't disagree that the baby shouldn't be there. I think so. Maybe he thinks that if the baby doesn't come back, he can try and apply for June again. Well, maybe, but I think he also, it's strange. I, I mean, maybe I'm seeing too much into Fred, but like his facial expressions and some of the ways that he talks has talked in this episode mm-hmm. and this season really is that he's shaken in his faith in Gilead. He loves the power and he loves the control that he used to have, could have, um, feels that he should have. But I don't know if he really believes. I think he sees what he did to Serena and sees it. Mm-hmm. Especially with her pulling away. Yeah. I mean, before she left for Canada, where she could have escaped. Right. I think he knew that she could have the option to escape at any time. Well, and and I, it makes me wonder if they're going to start having sex when they go home. I don't know. Maybe. That look on his face when she didn't hug or kiss him goodbye. Right. That she just whoop onto the plane. And then there is their love and that, yeah, there was some there somewhere between the two of them. Very much so. I will say that uh, Lawrence trying to very, very quietly offer June a handkerchief during the during the call was kind of interesting. He's not heartless. No. And I think the more that Eleanor comes out of her shell, the more we're going to see vulnerability out of him. I did notice something interesting in his mm-hmm. house. What? In, inside the handmaid's room. Yeah. There is multiple, multiple easily broken glass items there's a mirror in june's room like well he's never had one kill themselves this is true but they talk about it in the first season how the windows are unbreakable because not because of escape but because the extra escape so it's like does he just not care or is it the fact he's never had one or is it just to him to show hey my handmaidens don't need to yeah it's hard to say with him or is it just his aesthetic or did he does does he not think about it or believe that people who commit suicide are too weak to live and you know we've talked about his really weird zero-sum sort of logic about humans Mm -hmm. right we talked about that last episode so he think maybe he just figures if they're going to take that way out there's nothing you're going to do to stop them anyway you know what i mean he can't Mm -hmm. offer them what they need to get to stop them from committing suicide he can't say okay sure i'll just fly you out of here yeah (laughs) you know what i mean and you know he's not raping his yeah as far as we know he's never had sex with a single handmaid he's ever had Though I could wonder if that's going to be a death sentence for any of them, because if they're his third, you know. Don't they get sent to the colonies anyway? I mean, not to say that that's less than being, you know, hung on the wall, but. Supposedly there's like a, they turn them into aunts. I can't remember if there was something in the book that uh, handmaidens, if you had kids at the end of it, you'd become an aunt or something to train the next handmaids in. Or maybe a Martha if they had the skill. I don't know. But I know not having a kid after three commanders would definitely be a trip to the wall. Right. Yeah, he's an interesting, that's an interesting little tidbit about him. Mm -hmm. Tuello's back. (laughs) I'm sorry. I just have to mention that. I'm excited. (laughs) He is. So we talked about family and then there is a family in the Lawrence's house. And what do you think about this? June doing so much helping out around the house. It sort of gives that sense too, don't you think? It's a little weird. 
<laughs> she's like contributive to the family. You know what I mean? She doesn't feel as disconnected. Mm-hmm. There, I mean, as she did. At Beth the is all. Beth has already allowed her to help out. So I don't know. She feels more like she belongs in this house, or maybe that she's not just an incubator. Yeah. Yeah. There's a sense of place. And isn't that kind of what family is, is a sense of place. It's the people that you belong with or you hope you belong with. Either the family we create, right, or the family that we're born to, sometimes both. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's the people and the place you belong is with your family. And this feels like she's kind of getting some sense of that here. And I, that's the other reason I love that conversation. Eleanor speaking to her like a mom. Mm-hmm. Right. There is this heavy feeling of Eleanor passing. Yeah. Family and mom, mom energy, which June, of course, is needs. Absolutely. And the other that we talked about before we started recording was forgiveness. Mm -hmm. Great deal of some like June asking Luke to forgive her for Mm. for Luke or for Nick. You mean? Yeah. Yeah. Of course, words, names, whatever. <laughs> right for, for to forgive her for that and to let go. So maybe it's forgiveness and letting go because I mean it's both, right? You can't forgive somebody without letting go to the past and her shame. I just you know for loving somebody. I I wonder what Luke was thinking. I know for me it would have been more of a thing of being sad because he kind of starts crying there is like is he really upset about nick or is he sad that june felt ashamed ashamed of needing another person Mm -hmm. you know of loving somebody so that was great and that conversation even with them earlier and the phone call when he asks her for forgiveness and he's like i'm so sorry i didn't fight harder i'm so sorry i didn't get to you i'm so sorry i'm so sorry and she's like no don't say it it's don't say that. You don't have anything to be sorry for, right? It's absolution, forgiveness, and letting go, I guess, maybe. Those three things all go together. That's also that whole bit, too, isn't it? A between, well, with Eleanor and the music and forgiving Commander Lawrence for everything, really. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, pretty much everything. And letting go of it. I don't know. I, I don't know if she'll be able to, but... Well, I think if the music is any indicator, she's trying. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I kind of, at the very least, want her to be very happy. Let her have this Gilead. I, I like her when she's when she's lucid and spicy. She is getting spicy. Well, There's that first time we see her in the first episode, and she kind of flip-flops between being completely wackadoodle and really lucid and she tells emily that he did this he did this he did all of it it's all his fault (laughs) and then she gets so upset of course then she like collapses into her inner world i like that little fiery bit of her she's so tiny she is (laughs) i just i love her and i want to protect her she's so tiny and cute but i like that and um and that forgiveness between those two and and then luke Putting pushing past Serena's low key threat against June was not a smart idea. That could have ended badly for her, and it almost did. He almost walked out. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you'd have done something worse. Well, we didn't see him pack a gun. <laughs> well, yeah, not that. Uh, but like, <sighs> I don't know, just something more than what he did. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, what could you do in Canada? But I thought that was interesting that he pushes past that and lets Serena hold the baby. Might have been his biggest mistake in a lot of ways. At the same time, I don't think Serena was going to be content to come all that way and then go home. I, I don't think she was ready to let go. No. And, it's like- and, then, and like we were talking about, about with adopted babies, you know what I mean? You don't see them for a reason or, you know what I mean? She went right back into it. 
Anyway, she, you were going to say. She, she's like an addict. Yeah. She can't let go and she keeps getting little hits of it. It She just can't. I I saw this ad thing coming when Fred asked her if it didn't have to be over and she really didn't fight it. Yeah. And then there's the weird family dynamic between the three of them that Fred keeps. That's Fred's thing. Mm-hmm. He's trying to present himself, Serena and June, as a family unit. He does. like the most perverse use of it. And even Serena's definition of family that, you know, she could take this baby from June and make a family with it by taking this baby by force. And just making everybody out there in the world think that this is completely normal. Right. And that we're a real family that really care about each other. And like that whole twisting of that. That bit of it. I don't know, man. I don't know if anybody could ever think that with the faces June is making in the background. So do you think that Serena actually forgave Fred or she just was so empty and alone and her mother gave her no comfort that that just made sense? She just did it. I think she kind of just took in everything that, you know, that she saw that she was going to get no help from her, her mother, who I'm assuming is what's left of her family. She wasn't going to get very much help getting her baby back, which is what she wanted as a family. And Fred is finally not acting like a complete and utter douche nozzle. So I, I think she kind of just gave in. Because that's that all it, she has. Yeah. Fred is it. Or do you think she's using him? I don't I know. The end of the day that Serena might still do the right thing. Or I don't know. Maybe not the right thing according to us in June, but the right thing or a right thing, a different thing. I mean, what happens if she does get the baby and then she takes off? She's got, as we haven't mentioned yet, she's got the cell phone. Which I wonder if she's, I don't know, if she's just going to use it for worse things. Part of me would love her to get help June get Hannah back and give Hannah the phone or give June the phone. Yeah. Like that'd be one reason not to throw it out. Because she promised June she'd do something for her, right? They do have to owe me. That would be a huge thing, wouldn't it? That would be. But wasn't that the um, handing over the tapes? Well, maybe. And I've seen that. That's one of the things that was discussed, right, on Reddit was that that was Serena's end of that deal. But maybe it's the phone. Maybe. I don't know. We'll have to see I mean, it's just it ends up giving point. us something. I just look at it like Nick and June having sex. What's the point of that? If the possible sex. It could have been a PG-13, uh, PG leaving. <laughs> Come on. Take I know. The door shut. Nobody, they didn't, nobody was standing there in the doorway going one foot on the floor all the time. <laughs> I wonder if Serena would let her go with this one. You know, take Hannah and Nick's other baby because it's not mine. But, right? Mm-hmm. Oof. Oof. But I, I wondered about the phone. Or is Serena going to use it to, like, uh, nope on the fuck out of there when shit really hits the fan later? <laughs> I do not know. We'll have to... Find out. It's a little trick in her bag. It's funny that they keep sending this same handsome CIA agent, though, right? <laughs> yeah, it's like... Hmm, her Have they actually room. done their research on Serena Joy? I'm fairly certain that at this point, there are probably icicles on that. I don't know. I do not know. For as dark as this episode turns... Mm-hmm. Those really seemed like like really important or core value themes to the show, you know, was love and forgiveness and family and what what those all look like and their various expressions 
depending on the trauma that the people involved have suffered, right? Mm-hmm. I thought it was a good episode. I also oh, thought, I, I absolutely love the episode. I love the end of it. Oh, and, and I loved. I have to say again, the music was fantastic. That bit with June at the end. Mm-hmm. Although I noticed a bunch more posts on Reddit. I get it. You guys are all sick of her looking pissed off all the time. That face, <laughs> but the music was perfect. I. Yeah. It's like it's a great song. It is a very great song. I loved it. I had to listen to it like eight more times. But no, I, I do understand how people are like, oh, it's all June does now. And it's like, well, what else do you want her to do? <laughs> what else do you want them to focus on? Skip to my Louis. She's supposed to be smiling like Pollyanna. I don't know. That's not I don't really know either. I mean, I she guess I can understand it, but. Mm. She does enough of that when she's forced to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, but I thought that was. I can you imagine the level of betrayal that must have felt like when she finally got up on stage and there were Serena and Fred? Oh my god. Oh. Especially when and, Serena wouldn't talk to her. Yeah, and she realized that Serena was done. Serena had gotten everything from her Serena was wanted. That she like basically Serena just fucking completely used her. Yeah, she got to see her baby one last time and boom. And now she's going to go after getting the baby back. And Serena's just using the shit out of her. And Fred's using the shit out of her. They're like, he's using the shit out of both of them. I'm just going to say this. I think it's oily as fuck. I think, I don't know. Maybe Fred really loves Serena. I think he does. But he's one of those man boys who loves a woman for her Madonna factor. And Serena's got that in like spades. spades. But he can't keep his dick out of what he considers to be the whore archetype. Mm-hmm. Right. And he, he can't, he can't get himself together to like be an integrated he, man. He has these dichotomies inside and it unfortunately manifests in his deviant behavior. I, I just don't think he can stop himself. He can't have a woman who can do it all. So he can't just accept that woman as she is completely and just be like, all right, this is what, this is what she is, but has to find it in other women. Yeah. I, did you ever see the movie Summer of Sam? No, I did not. It's okay. John Leguizamo plays the main character in that movie, and he he has the same Peter Pan problem with his penis, mm-hmm. and he will not have any other kind of sex with his wife than with the lights off in the missionary position because he sees her as so sweet and innocent and wonderful that he doesn't want to scandalize her, and then... But he is having, he's fucking like everybody in the neighborhood. And like, he's a nasty, like he, like, he's a naughty boy. Mm. And he, but he said, you know, he says he can't do that with his wife. He loves his wife beyond words, but he can't do that stuff with his wife because she'd be, she'd be traumatized. Oh, yeah. And there's guys who have that. Like, it's a really old world view, but there are guys who kind of operate under that. I don't doubt it. I think a lot of these guys that are, you know, raised in religious backgrounds in particular because they're sold the idea that girls who don't want sex are the girls you want to marry. Mm-hmm. That there's right? something about it, that they're they're better. Well, yeah, they're good girls. And those mm-hmm. are the girls you marry. The girls you fuck are the ones you fucking leave. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's like, ugh. So I wonder if who gets to wear those kinds of specialty handmade outfits. You mean with the shoulders that look like a Pope's outfit or whatever? Yeah. I don't know. Like it seems like they had those on hand. So it's not like they just made those suckers up. 
No, and she looked really nice in it. I, Aunt Lydia, my God, she's such a conundrum. But special girl. And you're so pretty. You look so lovely in that. Like, you know what I mean? Like, ah, stop saying things that are nice. Because <laughs> you're just going to be mean in a minute. Yeah, I those they look nice, but it's interesting. They're like they don't want people to even see that, and in the, the idea of opulence, she's like because I bet she doesn't get to keep that outfit. Oh goodness, no! Unless this outfit is for—I mean, I don't know for sure—but if it's like some kind of like future, like you know, what I mean, Fred's thinking about constructing a narrative in the press. I suppose he wants Alfred to look opulent. Right. And well cared for as a part of his family, quote unquote. Right. His fucked up family vision mm-hmm. in front of the cameras. I, I can see that. But those are pretty nice. Maybe really, really rich commanders. Yeah. Maybe like in the capital or something. Right. Really nice looking girls get to wear really nice, you know what I mean? Really wealthy or powerful families. They get to have those nice outfits all the time. I don't Maybe. know. Or maybe it's just for press conferences. Right. I did. I I understand that we might go. We're going to go. There might be some travel next episode. So maybe we'll get to see what handmaids are like in other places soon. But interesting. Very. We've discussed our themes and we just want to mention um, we got a couple. We got some feedback. Finally, thanks, you guys. We really appreciate the feedback. The first thing I got, which you guys are going to already know this by the time you get to it, but I want to say thank you. I got a bit of feedback on Reddit from underscore Allie underscore on Reddit. Asked if we were going to get caught up on the shows. And as you will find out on Saturday when these three episodes drop. <laughs> yes. We're trying. It's it's all on me. I'm sorry, guys. Well, you know, the thing is that we both have busy lives elsewhere and people don't realize that putting together a podcast and, and maybe it's because I'm this bad at it, but it takes a lot of work to edit these. And then it's so it's hours spent in getting them all put together and edited up and everything sorted out. So there's that. And then trying to find time for me and Kay to both get together and record sometimes is a trial. Last week in particular was really rough for us because we had, we had other stuff in real life together that kept us busy basically for every day after Wednesday last week. So much. until Sunday. So it was a little crazy, but we did manage to get our episode done last week. Huzzah! We did. Be proud of us. Be proud. So we have that done, but we decided that we would take this on, this challenge on, and get ourselves caught up. So I'm not sure as of this recording if we are going to drop the previous episode and this one on Saturday and then Wednesday night's episode for that, or our episode for the Wednesday night show on Sunday, or if they'll all come out on Saturday, or if they'll all come out on Sunday. It's going to really depend on how the editing goes, but we definitely will be getting caught up to the show so that y'all can have them all at once. And then we'll stay current with the show. Mm-hmm. Um, I hadn't really concerned myself with it too much so that people weren't getting things spoiled. Mm-hmm. Like, you know what I mean? They could listen to the podcast and whatever, but they didn't have to worry about, oh, is this one I can watch? Is it safe right now? Well, if we're, you know, two weeks behind the show, 
all the time, they would always know that it was relatively safe. But I guess we'll move into this. And mostly because I think we're going to have to do it when we move to Harlots. I have a sneaking suspicion we're going to get three episodes of Harlots, too, right off the bat. Oh, God. <laughs> In which case, we, we will, will do our best. We will do our very best to do those first three episodes the first week. But we are going to continue just like we did with these. These episodes are not going to be all packaged up into a catch-up episode of Har- Handmaids and Harlots. They will each be separate. They'll be compartmentalized so that you don't have to worry about spoilers. We're not gonna, we're not gonna do that to you. Oh, you'll have to turn it off at, um, you know, one hour and fifteen minutes because we move to the next episode. We're not gonna be doing that. We wouldn't do so, that to you. So you, yeah, we wouldn't. We're not that kind of jerk. Usually, most of the time, whatever. So yeah, I just want to give a shout out to Allie. And the rest of you who might be bemoaning the same thing, you can all thank Allie underscore Allie underscore on Reddit. We did this so because it made sense and she had a point and she was very polite and very kind and she asked. We also got some Twitter feedback from one of the groups of or one of the folks from the group of role players that we've met on <laughs> on Twitter that we just adore. Her name is June Offred, screen name, and you can find her at, at Offred Tweets at Twitter, who wanted to let us know that she enjoyed the last episode where we talked about how Lawrence is equal to Bobby Fisher. You know, the, in terms of chess, that I really feel like we're getting really negative view of Lawrence, but that there's a point to that. It's mm-hmm. it's not that Lawrence is necessarily a bad guy, but he's got a plan and he's testing things with her. And she also agreed that she thought it might be a pretty good possibility that June does get pregnant with Nick's baby on that whole goodbye thing. It is quite possible. Could be a whole thing of just now nah, you guys thought too much on that. <laughs> right. Or maybe um, it was a red herring and we were all supposed to lap it up. I don't know. I don't know. It could be. Um, we also had Leah Wonderful. Indeed she did. Who sent us a very well written out email, you know, telling us that, you know, she Minnesota enjoyed the podcast. Minnesota represent! Sorry. <laughs> She's been holding that in for a while. Hi, Leah. <laughs> she enjoys the podcast and all that sort of discussions. But she'd like to share some information that we might have gotten a little wrong. Uh, that most likely the medication Eleanor is not is taking is not venaflaxine at least by itself. So she says the use of an antidepressant alone has not been shown to be effective for bipolar. In fact, it could be detrimental and precipitate a manic attack. While she does say that providers, uh, it might may just seem like providers just throw out drugs randomly. It's a very complex pharmacology. And I agree with Leah all, all the way through this, except to say this, we don't know what the full ramifications of her getting medicated are either, which means this may be all they can get their hands on. And it may be a plot point in another episode or two that Eleanor does have a manic episode. Though she did give an idea of what she could be taking. Hmm, what was that? She said for bipolar, the first go-to treatments of mood stabilizer, which includes yes. lithium. I'm so sorry if I mix all these names up. Uh, Valprosac acid and lamtrogene. So as those- antipsychotic is usually added. One of those is Boost Bar, right? Probably. I think that's Lambda Gene. Again, yeah. Leah, I'm so sorry if I don't get these. I was a history major, okay? <laughs> yeah, neither of us are, we're both history majors. We, neither of us were like, you know, pharmacology geeks. Although I did work as a pharmacy aide for about a year. 
And the closest I ever got was working at a deli across from a pharmacy. No, I counted pills and did all that and informed people. But it's been years. It's been like 20 years since I worked in pharmacy. But yes. She and did, oh, sorry. Got it. No, you go ahead. She said there was a combination drug that's a drug that was an antipsychotic and antidepressant called Ozlapine Fluxatine, brand name Symbax. Symbiax? It mm-hmm. looks exactly like Venaflaxine. Oh, that's so. nuts. Okay. It's a red topper with white. So she also said that the, that the checkoff gun radiation causing cholesterol is very fun, though most likely it's just medical misinformation being spread. She actually commented apparently on the original Reddit thread too. About that issue. Yeah. But the link study gives results that were less impressive. So she said that because for the layperson it could be difficult to read medical literature and understand it, the difference is due not to chance. Medicine tells us difference is relatively meaningless. And a course is pretty standard fare and that the results were not clinically significant. I'm guessing that the relationship between post-traumatic stress disorder and cholesterol is probably better. But the reason I'm going to say that is not necessarily any kind of weirdness other than to say that people who have post-traumatic stress disorder also have a tendency to comfort eat. My tum-tum would say that. And the other thing I wanted to say about what June had said, and since we're talking about the drugs in particular, June offered. So the other thing that June had mentioned is all this blood testing that needs to get done for lithium because of various ways that lithium metabolizes and it can become toxic in a body. So you have to have pretty regular blood tests to test your lithium levels. So you're not reaching that point. Mm -hmm. So I'm that I had forgotten about when I mentioned this and that would be harder for, for Lawrence to keep secret. Yeah, that, that would generally be really hard to do. Yeah, if he had to take her back and forth to the doctor or whatever. And there's a couple of people who are like, yeah, but you could do the blood test. And I'm like, yeah, you could, but it would, it would take a lot more for him to work that out. It would. There's a lot to do with that. So. A lot of hands. So those are our, those are our shout outs for this week. There oh, we were. Didn't miss <laughs> we didn't miss. Yeah, not this week. Barnadav. There were some other interesting stuff. Um that I saw on Reddit, some really good memes. You guys put together some of the best freaking memes. I just want to say there was the one, did you see the one from the guy? Is it from the office? Yes. Who is like trying to figure out what the fuck Serena is thinking. That meme was glorious. <laughs> I I died when I saw that. Just dead. Dead. Oh, absolutely. Oh, it was just good. Uh, yes. You guys make such good stuff. Yeah, there were some really great things, but I'm going to say this again, y'all, you need to, you need to get over your black and white thinking. I will say I cannot wait until I can look at the next episode's memes and everything because I can't, I see so many of them and I'm like, I can't look at them yet. Yeah, we haven't, we haven't watched that yet, kids, but we're getting there tonight. Well, yep. At the very least watching it and starting that info. And then hopefully we can we can at least get some some chit chat about that episode down and and get it ready for Saturday or Sunday. But yes, 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 it was a good. And I think this episode is really good. And again, super beautiful, super mm-hmm. beautiful. Well shot as always. Good music, yes. and the music was a definite improvement. Holy shit! <laughs> like the episode. The last couple episodes have just been sort of bleh. And that was one of the things during like season one and season two that I really enjoyed was that the music was purposeful. Like, and it had a message. Last episode was pretty good. 
because I loved the, the songs in last episode, but this one was even more so. It felt more like the first season where the music that we got at the end of the show was like super important. So there was one last thing from Reddit that I wanted to mention for sure. And it was a post done by Sid the fuck down. <laughs> it's a great fucking name. Sid the fuck down. So Sid the fuck down asked with a question for those of us who'd read the books and it said, at what point did the show run out of source material and how does the book end? So first of all, I would like to mention, because nobody else did here, is that we're getting um, book two in September. Soon. So we will find out. And it's set 25 years from the end of Handmaid's Tale. Be interesting to see what it has to do with, but I believe we will find out in September. And so they wanted to know about the the epilogue to the book and what was going on there. I just wanted to bring it up for one reason because I thought it was a really nice Easter egg in the show that maybe other people didn't think about is that what the professor in the epilogue who's speaking at the symposium on Gilead, Gilead's history mentioned as one of the primary source documents is tapes that were found in Maine and that these tapes started out with music and then came in June's voice. I like the Easter egg that the tapes we see Luke get are the tapes that are mentioned in the book. Mm Mm-hmm. A tip of the hat kind of thing. Yeah, I thought it was a I thought it was a good homage or Easter egg to the original source material that that's how those tapes came to be, at least in the show. Um special linguist is the one who answered that question for Sid the fuck down. But that was something I wanted to bring up because it made me think about that, about the fact that that was, oh, hey, that's how it starts in the sh- in the show or the tapes that Luke gets. That's how that works in the show. That's interesting that they did that. And I liked it. So, and other than that, I don't know. Do we have, do we have anything more to say about it specifically? I can't wait for the end of, for this next episode. I know. We can get rid of this spoiler thing and we can watch it all. And then we will be caught up with everybody and we won't be a week behind either. So that'll be great. Mm-hmm. Because we've been like not watching them, folks, like until we get a show taped so that we don't make the mistake of like cross pollinating one episode to another. We're trying really hard to not do that. So we've not been. So no. we are in the dark. We're good people. Well, I did it once. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> But I have not done it since. So we're trying to, to trying to do that. But now we will be able to be up with y'all and actually look at your stuff, your memes and the rest of it. And contextually. <laughs> yeah. And in, in context. So that's all I have to say other than. Um, blessed be the fight. Yeah. Blessed <laughs> be the fight. Anyway. So we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. And that's a wrap on another episode of Handmaids and Harlots, the podcast. We are indebted to EDM Mond for use of their song, Memories, Innocence of a Girl, available through Audio Library. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please smash your like button wherever you find us. Follow us on Twitter at HandmaidsH 
where you can make comments, share news and thoughts, or email us directly at handmaidsnharlots at gmail.com. And for essays by either myself or Kay, check out and subscribe to our WordPress blog at handmaidsnharlots.wordpress.com. Until next time, peace be with you.